0: Thank you so much. Thank you. It's great to be back again. So now we're going to look into Matthew's Gospel and chapter 14. Matthew 14. And I've been so blessed by the song we've just sung. And actually it might be great if we could finish with that song. Because it kind of amazes me as I'm sitting there and we're singing. I think, how can they choose a song like this? It's amazing. Anyway, we'll, we'll, you'll see why in a moment. Okay, Matthew 14. I'm going to read from verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate. The hour's already Late, So send the crowds away, that they may get into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we've only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away after he'd sent the crowds away, he went up into the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind... He became frightened. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you little faith, why did you doubt? When he got into the boat, the wind stopped. Father, thank you for your mighty power. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us something of the wonder and the beauty of who you are. Lord, we thank you for the joy of focusing on Jesus together here this morning. Thank you, Lord, that in a troubled world, a stormy world, we can look on you, we can see you, we can trust you, we can find you enough for us in our little lives, and you're enough for the nations. You're the Lord of the nations. You're the King of Glory. You're seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, full of power and might. And Father, thank you so much that that power invades our little world, comes into my family, comes into our homes, comes, Lord, to our workplace. Lord, we thank you. We are in vital fellowship with you. And Father, we ask you right now for the help of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, we pray. Be our teacher. Rest upon us now. We depend on the reality of your being here, Lord, so that we don't hear just the preacher, but we really hear you speaking to us, Father. So help us in this, we do ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I was asked before I start, do I mind how this is? And I didn't realize I did, but I prefer it like that. (laughs) Jesus is growingly popular. He's beginning to gather huge crowds. Jesus is he's emerging as a figure that's raising a lot of questions people are beginning to wonder could he be the promised messiah their their prophets of centuries have been telling them a great king is coming someone full of power and might he's going to come this is a nation waiting for someone to come waiting for him And Jesus has grown gradually in popularity and numbers of people listening to him. Even the Pharisees sent soldiers to get him at one time. They came, he's preaching, and they listened and listened. They came back empty-handed, and they said, well, well. They said, no man ever spoke like this man. He speaks with authority, not like the scribes. He speaks with kind of a, a voice that's that's bigger than anything we've heard before. Not only that, people are being healed, signs and wonders are happening, extraordinary things are taking place. They're beginning to wonder, could he be the one? Is he the one? Is he the one we've all been waiting for? This great son of David. You may remember that blind Bartimaeus on the roadside, as Jesus goes by and the crowd are going by, he cries out, Jesus, Son of David! Have mercy on me, son of David. What's he saying? He's saying, this one is going to be like David. That was his name, one who will come in David's line. He's going to be another great king. And David, you may remember, came on the scene when he was just young. They had a king. His name was Saul. He was pretty ineffective. And David, this young lad, suddenly turned up. And there's Goliath strutting around. And David, with eyes of faith, just sees him as defenseless and takes him out, and becomes a great, a great warrior leader. Uh, and they're waiting for someone to come who will rid them of their equivalent of the Philistines who are dominating them. And the equivalent is now the Romans. The Romans are dominating them, the Romans are over them, the Romans are crushing them. And they're saying, oh God, raise up your Messiah who can crush these enemies. So they're actually looking for a kind of military leader one who will come with power. They don't really understand who Jesus is, but they're looking for this one who might come. They saw John the Baptist. John the Baptist gathered huge crowds. He probably led the biggest religious revival, actually still like an Old Testament figure, in the Old Testament. It says all Judea went out to hear John. They wondered, are you the one? They said to him, are you the promised one? He said, no, 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 there's one coming after me. There's one coming after me. I'm preparing the way for him. So there's loads of expectation in the air, and Jesus is living on the back of that. He's the one who's bringing more and more expectation. Now he's fed thousands, thousands. It says five thousand men went up this mountain to listen to him, stayed with him for three days. It says men plus women plus children. D.A. Carson, famous commentator, says probably 20,000 people. So these crowds are gathered, and he fed them all. One of the other old promises of the Old Testament was from Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 18, where he says, another one like me will come. But they always said, Moses fed us in the wilderness. Now here's this one. He who's feeding. I mean, he's got, he's got to be, is he the one? Is he the one? Now as the story goes on, we see Jesus taking the disciples and pushing them out into a boat. He pushes them into the storm. If you read the story, we find that it finishes with them in terrible peril of their lives. They're thinking we might die. They're in a terrible storm. And you know, sometimes we find ourselves, we're just in storms, difficulties, setbacks, things we never anticipated. And we think, what's happening to my life? But just notice this. These guys were in a storm, not because they'd gone out of the will of God, but he had sent them into it. So if you're in a storm, it's no proof that you've lost the will of God. And if you're following Jesus with all your heart, it's no guarantee you won't hit a storm. These guys are in a storm. They're in a storm. But why? What's going on? You see, this is such a dangerous place to be. Why are we here? What's going on with us? What they hadn't realized was out of the storm was even more dangerous what do i mean well the crowds are beginning to force jesus into a place that they wanted to be and jesus is at the mercy it seems of the crowd they're wanting to force the pace they wanted to bring him through they're gonna it says in john's account of this same story john 6 15 intending to take him and make him king they're gonna force their agenda on jesus we're gonna make him king And Jesus, of course, is free from their agenda. He's got his own agenda. Now, what is Jesus' agenda? As he goes through the Gospels, what's he after? Well, you find out a lot, I think, from his prayer at the end in John 17 when he says this, Lord, all those you've given to me, I've kept them. I've revealed your your name to them. And John 17 says this, I've done the work you gave me to do. And the prayer is all about these 12 that God gave to him. His focus is on the 12. That's where Jesus, he gives himself to the crowd, he serves the crowd, he loves the crowd, but actually his focus is on the 12, because his purpose is to create a new people on planet earth. He's taking some of these Jewish people, it says in John 1, he came to his own, his own didn't receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave right to become the sons of God. And he's starting with these 12. Out of Israel, there's become a backslidden nation now. A nation's rejecting their Messiah. They're full of unbelief. He's pulling out 12. He's going to make a new nation out of that nation. He's going to bring forth a new people. And they are going to be the foundations. His church is built upon the foundation of the apostles. They are foundational to this new people who are going to be believers as opposed to unbelievers. He's come to his own people that he raised up. He called into being, but they've turned away. He's going to have a people of faith and he's gathered these 12 and he's going to create faith in them. He's going to make them a people of faith that characterizes all who come to believe through their testimony. So these are his focal points. He's most preoccupied with the 12. These are the ones, he said, Father, you gave them to me, I've kept them. I'm not praying for the world. I pray for them. And for all those who will believe through their testimony. A great new people is going to come out of these 12. So his focus is on them. He's training them. And this part is part of their training. Being sent into a storm is part of their training. I, 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 met, I went to Bible college where I met, I met Wendy at Bible college. And when you go to Bible college, you know, you sit with your book and your notes and uh, the guy speaks from at least back in those days before they invented all kinds of other means, pen and paper in those days. And the guy spoke, and you got it in your notebook, and it went from his notebook to your notebook. You know, that's this week's lecture. You know, learn. Jesus is a bit different. His training program is now you go into the storm. <laughs> Stormy week, what's this? It's part of their training. And it's interesting because soon Jesus won't be physically around. Soon, Jesus is ascending into the heavens. Soon, he, you can't touch him any longer. He's not around us anymore. And soon, they're going to be in a major storm. When Jesus ascends into heaven, they begin to preach. The Sanhedrin say, you do not preach anymore in that name. They've never met such authority. They're northerners. They're from Galilee. They're country guys. Here they are in the big city, and the big authorities are saying, you stop it now. But where's Jesus? He's gone through the heavens. This is a training program. They're in a big storm. Where's Jesus? He's up in the mountain praying. They're going to learn stuff like they've never learned before. It's part of their training. And he knows that they need more training. You see, the thing is, the crowds are saying, let's make him king. Let's force the issue. And some of the disciples are pretty keen on that. Yeah, make him king. I'll sit on his right hand. I'll sit on his left hand. They even set their mother along. You know, the mother goes along. Will you set my boy on your right hand, you're my boy on your left when you come in your kingdom. So they got confused about what this kingdom would look like. And they're, yeah, make him king, make him king. I'm with him, I'm with him. Make him king, I'm his friend. Jesus says that he, he knows they can't take this wave of popularity. So he says, you better go. And he compels them, it says in the text. He compelled them into the boat he got them out of there he was still training them you know you can become a Christian kind of almost in the moment I know the evening I first heard the gospel I'd never heard it at all before my parents were not believers I'd never heard there was a gospel my sister went to London Billy Graham came to London she came home and she said i would become a Christian I said how do you become a Christian I've been born again well, I don't know what you're talking about. But by the end of the evening, I was kneeling and asking Jesus into my life. And I said, Why hasn't anybody ever told me this before? You can become a Christian in a moment, but it takes a bit longer to become what God wants us to be. And it means going through all sorts of experiences. So you find, for instance, with David. The Spirit comes upon David as a young lad. Samuel anointed him with oil. The Spirit came upon David from that time on. He took Goliath out. He's powerful. He's powerful. But I I read a book by a man called Alan Redpath, and it was called, about David, the making of a man of God. So David, yeah, he takes out Goliath. Saul says, come and join my army. Come and be a captain. And he becomes a warrior, a powerful captain in Saul's army. And it so says, the girls start singing, Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. And David's kind of swishing through the palace and the girls are singing. And David's saying, yes, that's me. I like you too. And, uh, you know, he's enjoying all this. I'm, I've come to fame. I've come to success. And the girls are singing. This is fun. And the next thing that happens is spears are being thrown at him. What's going on? I didn't anticipate this. I didn't think suddenly he's ducking spears and Saul's going to kill him. And David in the end has to flee. And he's in a cave with 300 guys who've got nowhere else to go. I was swishing through the palace. Now I'm here, what's going on? It's the making of a man of God. You find similar with Joseph. God gives Joseph an amazing vision as a young lad. As a young man, he sees a vision. All his brothers will bow down to him. But he's really quite an obnoxious young man. He says to his brothers, you're going to bow down to me. God's told me. This is great, eh? And what happens to Joseph? Well, he's thrown out. He's thrown a hole in the ground. He's sold down to Egypt. He's a slave. He's lied against. His, his, his master's wife said he tried to abuse me. He's put in prison. You think, wow, what about these promises? What about this promise? I've got significance. I've got a reign. Somehow people will bow to me. What's going on? And it's like everything that happens takes him further away from the promise. Your brothers will bow down. I don't know if they're still alive. I'm in another country. They speak another language. What's going on? I'm in prison. I'm in prison. But the reality is this. Every step is taking him one step closer to God's ultimate purpose. It's only going to take one more dream and he's there. But before that, it looked so terrible. Actually, while he's in prison, you may remember two guys come in, and they said, we've had dreams. And I love love Joseph in that. Joseph says, tell me your dream. I think if I'd been Joseph, I would have said, yeah, I used to have dreams. Forget dreams, man. (laughs) Dreams would get you into big trouble. No, he hasn't given up on his dream. You still got your dream? But it's not happening, yeah? Tell me your dream. I still believe. Tell me your dream. He hasn't given up on God having spoken to him. And, and he gives the man the interpretation of his dream and that actually is the key to him coming through. His not forsaking God having spoken to him is the key to him coming into the future. It's important, beloved. When God whispers into your heart something of his purpose for your life, don't throw it away because, wow, what's happening? Nothing seems to happen. It was his holding on to that. Tell me your dream. Interpret it. Wow, that opens the door. It was his, if you like, his charismatic commitment that brought him into all that God had for him. He didn't say, I used to get into that stuff. It just gets, doesn't really work. I'll go and not. No, no, no. It was his commitment, his wholehearted faith that brought him through. So these men in the Bible, you'll find it's not uncommon for them to get a promise, to get a sense of, I'm being called, like Simon Peter, leave your nets, come and follow me. Matthew, leave your collection, come and follow me. Wow, I'm on an adventure. This looks exciting. What am I doing in this storm? I didn't anticipate that. I never thought this would happen. I thought I'm following Jesus. But following Jesus is no guarantee you won't hit storms. And if you're in a storm, it's no proof. You've lost the will of God. It's no proof at all. Let's see what happens. Let's see this story. Let's look at it. What's it teaching us? First of all, let's see it was planned by Jesus. It's going to end with a phenomenal revelation of Christ. It really is a training. It's really something that God wants to do in their lives. Now, it was painful. This says they were in the, in the middle of the lake. Well, the lake is 13 miles long, seven and a half miles wide, And therefore, there's no easy way out. They're in the middle. It's not like just the beginning to get into the boat, and watch, hey, the weather, hey, forget it, let's not go. No, 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 they're in the middle before the weather changes. It's like we're in a situation we can't get out of. See, our modern world is all for, well, just change things. Let's get out. Let's just change it. You know, from the trivial, like you're watching television, you've got your remote and along comes the adverts. Oh, it's changed. What's, the other change? What's on the other side? You know, your wife says, I thought we were watching the yeah, air. Let's watch this. Let's change. Let's, I'm bored of this. Sometimes people get bored of seeing it. They don't follow things through like they used to. Oh, I'm changing. I'm changing church. I'm changing job. I'm changing wife, husband. Let's get out. Let's get out. There's no way out here. They're, they're locked in. There's no way out. God wants to put us in situations that you can't easily walk out of. Walking out doesn't solve things because God's doing something in us and walking out doesn't get it done. So they can't get out. They are in the midst of it. Then it says that the wind was against them. It's the outward circumstances suddenly become hostile. Things that were all falling into place nicely have suddenly, it seems like you've suddenly hit enemy territory. And and it's it's against them. They can't relax. They can't relax. They've got to keep rowing because this is a dangerous place to be. And sometimes people get into that and say, well, I've got to work. She's got to work. We have to put the boat. And and it's like, why don't you? No, we can't stop. I mean, we'll never be able to meet the bills if we don't. So we just have to keep working. We have to keep rowing. There's no way out of this. So we, we just have to keep working. It's, I, can't see how, I can't see how. Mortgage, problems, this. I, we just got to keep working. And, and here they are. They just keep on rowing. There's no obvious way out. They'll be blown backwards if they stop. And then it says they're straining at the oars. So like every phrase somehow illumines this story. They're straining at the oars. And it says, they become harassed in rowing. I know we use different translations. I read from a, the NASB, it has marginal alternatives. And in the margin, it says, They were battered by the waves. They were harassed. And the word for harassed, literally, is the same word that the Bible translates as tormented when demons are involved. They're tormented by the waves. They're tormented. It's like. And sometimes we can feel this. It's like, is, is, is the devil after me? Is the devil making this happen? It's, and then it's like the storm's got out of the lake and it's got in here. So you can't sleep. You're waking up and it's going round and round in your mind because the storm has got on the inside. And wow, this is, this is hostile. This is hostile territory. You feel like you're being mocked. You feel like this is draining all the energy out of me. This is what's happening to them. That in this situation, the storm... And it's prolonged. See, Jesus sends them off, probably, I guess, late afternoon. They've been with him all day, sends them off. And then in the middle of the lake, and it says he came to them in the fourth watch, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. So that's a long time. God, how long is this going to be? Now, that phrase, how long, O oh Lord, If you know the book of Psalms, you'll just know it comes up from time to time. People crying out, how long? Lord, when are you going to sort this? How long, oh Lord? That says God, you're a faithful God. Otherwise, why would the psalmist be saying, how long? Because, well, we're just at the mercy of how things work out. The psalmist has got bigger faith than that. He's saying, Lord, how long are you going to let this happen? There's a kind of cry, Lord, what are you doing? How long? It's a sort of cry when the disciples or at least when the two sisters came to Jesus uh, when Lazarus was dead if only you'd come yesterday if only you'd come yesterday how long, why, why's he coming you got the message, why did he come Listen, he's getting worse and sicker and sicker Lazarus is on the edge of death someone's sent to Jesus, he comes back it's so alright, I've told Jesus he still doesn't come we've told Jesus and he still doesn't come how long Lord? what's going on here what's going on and Peter says this later. Peter, see, Peter's on this training program. He's one of the 12. He's in the boat. He's part of the guys being trained. Later, he writes his epistle when he's a mature apostle. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial as though some strange thing was happening to you. See, that's part of our problem. We think, oh, this is strange. I didn't expect this. I didn't think this would happen. You know, it's like getting into the ring with Tyson. Say, hey, he hit me. He hit me. You so well, you're lucky he didn't bite your ear off. <laughs> he will hit you. you know, it's, 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 why, don't be surprised. And then again in 1 Peter, he says this. Now for a little while, you may have to suffer various trials. These, may have, these have come that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may prove to be genuine may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's a, a testing that's like proving the genuineness of our faith. That's what it's saying. It's like fire under, the, under this raw gold. It's refining it. That's what Peter is saying. Paul says this momentary light affliction is preparing you for an eternal weight of glory. How long, O oh Lord? Some years ago, I was at the um, Stonely Bible Week back in the 90s, and uh, I preached on being an arrow for God. There's a verse in Isaiah somewhere, and I found it, and it says, you've made me a polished arrow. And it talks about being in his quiver. And I felt God was speaking to me about this a lot. So we looked at the arrowhead and the feathers and the quiver and all sorts of stuff. But the essential point was this, that the arrow was formerly a branch in a tree, Uh, uh, and it had to be cut out of the tree to become something else. And I know for myself, when I became a Christian, I referred to it earlier, I asked Jesus into my heart. As a teenager, I was very worldly, and I just asked Jesus in. I didn't leave my address. I stayed, in a sense, where I was, and I asked Jesus in. Very different to how it was in the Bible. In the Bible, Jesus said to Simon Peter, follow me. He came out from where he was. Matthew, follow me, came out from Israel. They followed Jesus. Follow me was the invitation. Follow me, come into the way. I stayed where I was and asked Jesus in. And it's interesting, you know, when you're a branch, you can't imagine this new life. Imagine saying to a branch, How'd you like to fly? You know, what's flight? How about speed through the air? What's speed through the air? How about hitting a target? What's a target? See, until you get out, you can't even identify with this new identity he wants you to have. It's the same piece of wood, but it's taking on a new identity. It's got to come out and become something else. I know for myself, as I thought about it, you know, cutting off those little twigs and the leaves. Think, oh, that's part of me. It's me. It's, no, no, come on. You don't need that. Come on. Anyway, I, I felt God showed me something from that. And after Stonely, Wendy and I went across to uh, the USA and I spoke in Kansas City. I preached a sermon. I I preached this sermon on the the arrow. And when I finished, a guy came up to me and said, I liked your sermon. I said, oh, thank you. He said, I make arrows. That's my job. So I said, oh, interesting. He said, let me tell you about what's part of the process. He said, we take the branches and we've got a machine. And we take the individual branches and put them in kind of troughs, little channels in this machine. He said, we then pass water through the machine. He said, we then put the lid down and then we turn the heat up. I said, yeah. He said, we just leave them in the heat. And he said, we know exactly how long to leave them in the heat. He said, if we take them out too soon... You try and cut away the outer casing and you cut into the wood. You don't get a pure arrow, you just damage it. If you take it out too quick, you damage it. He said, if you leave it in too long, the inner wood begins to mush up. It just loses its intensity, just you've lost it. So he said, we know exactly how long to leave it in the heat. I thought you might be interested. I said, I'm interested. Beloved, if these guys know how long, exactly how long, do you not think maybe God knows exactly how long? Do you not know, believe that he's exactly, he keeps the universe in place. Every star, every planet. You think of the wonders of the universe, everything. He calls them by name. Not one of them is missing, Is this. He knows what he's doing. He knows how long. But when we're going through it, you think, God, how long? how long it's purposeful he knows what he's doing will you believe that this morning beloved that's what that song was all about i was amazed as we sang it we'll sing it again before we finish but i want us to really enter it to lord i believe you i trust you i trust you but let's move on in the story you see there in the storm the greatest fear is this jesus doesn't know about it where's jesus well he's not here He didn't even get in the boat. He sent us into it. He's not in it. Now, where is Jesus? We're told, he went up the mountain to pray. He went up the mountain to pray. Now, that's ever so instructive when you think of this as a training program. And you think what it says in Hebrews. And in chapter four of Hebrews, it's fascinating. It says this. We have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. He's not just up a mountain. He's passed through the heavens. Jesus, let's hold fast to our confession. There's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He can judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. His knowledge is total. He's gone through the heavens and yet everything's open to him. And so Jesus is on the mountain. There in the storm is pitch black because there's no floodlights at Galilee. And yet he sees. Now this is supernatural, eh? He sees them. And notice this, dear friends. He starts coming to them before they pray. It's not they say, oh, come down. No, no, he's, he's coming. Because why? Because, beloved, they're his responsibility. He sent them there. Jesus does not send you into something and then walk away and forget, oh, did I? No, no, he's, his eye is on them. And it's supernatural vision. It's knowing in the darkness he can see. And now through the heavens, we have a great priest. Everything's open to him. Our hearts are open. He can see when the storm's got out of the lake into our hearts. He sees the whole deal. He can see it. And he comes to them. He takes the initiative. He starts coming. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? In the Mount of Transfiguration story, Jesus is in the mountain with his father and three of the disciples are there and he's transfigured. Something of his godness (laughs) comes shining through. Not like Moses who could put a cloth over. Even his clothes are shining. Well, he's here with his father alone this time. We don't know what happened when he was with his father alone. But we do know when he came down from being with his father alone, down the mountain, he just comes to the sea and just keeps walking. He rides on the waters. It says things like that in the Old Testament about God. He walks towards them, this majestic one. And actually, when he walks towards them, the, the disciples are ultra scared now because they see it. And they say, it's a ghost. And they're scared. They're more scared now than they are of the storm. Jesus is turning up and they're terrified. He walks on the storm to them. He comes to them. Before that, the darkness had come, but Jesus hadn't. Now he's coming. Jesus is coming. He sees them where they are. He comes to them where they are. He took the initiative. They say, it's a ghost. That's amazing. What Jesus says is, don't fear then most of our Bibles will say these words, it is I. Now, if you had a Greek text in front of you, you would find it says this, don't fear, I am. That's literally what it says. It has two Greek words, ego, I, and I me. And the verb, I me, doesn't need you to say ego, because the verb makes it clear that is I. So when you say ego, I mean, it's emphatic. You're, ex, you're saying something emphatically. I am. Now that rings a bell to any of us who know our Bibles when Moses is encountering God and he says to God, who shall I say is sending me? He says, I am that I am. This amazing name. And this Jesus has come down from the Father and says, don't be scared. And what he literally says is, i am now that happened several times in the ministry of jesus particularly brought out in john's gospel where whenever he these i am things like i am the true vine ego i me i am the resurrection and the life ego i me i am the good shepherd i am the bread of life i am all either way that ego i me this is god coming to us where we are the living god coming down amongst us i am and some places he said this, he said, before Abraham was, doesn't say I was, he says before Abraham was, I am. He says in another place, unless you believe I am, he, he said, you will die in your sin, unless you believe I am. Often our Bibles will add the word him or he or something like that. Now, one of the reasons I like this translation is wherever the translators add a word that isn't in the text, they puts it in italic so you can see it. He says, even in Gethsemane, remember this story, they're in Gethsemane, Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, Jesus steps forward and says, Ego, I me. And they all fall back. I am. Sometimes his glory just shines through. This majestic God who came down to be amongst us. Sometimes you get glimpses. This is going to be one of the biggest glimpses the apostles ever see see, when they follow Jesus, he's a preacher, he's a healer. We mustn't mustn't think they immediately understood everything straight away. They're just following this preacher, healer, strange guy, amazing man. He's called me. And as they go on, they're beginning to understand who he is. Jesus, who do you think I am? And this is one of these big occasions. At the end, they say, even the wind and waves obey him. Who is he? Who is he? The extraordinary thing is we don't often say, it is I, do we? We tend to say, it's me. Which is grammatically wrong, but it's the way we speak. And the wonder of this story is like, don't be scared, I am. Or if you prefer it, Peter, don't be scared, it's me. It's me. It's like, that's, like, that's the incarnation. That the majestic God, is this guy we know this person has come into our lives, this person that we've loved and we've come to trust, and we know him. We know him. John writes later, we handled and touched him. The life was manifested. This life, we shared it with him. It's me. I'm coming. This God's come right into our world, right into our lives. He takes over. He takes over the boat. The wonderful thing is later... Peter again Peter is in this lesson. He writes in his second epistle chapter 1. He says he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. What a phrase that is. This translation doesn't make it so clear. That's the NIV says so that. Second Peter chapter 1, he has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Imagine And when I first saw that in the NIV, I was working at my desk in Hove, and I saw it in this what was then a new translation. Wow, everything I need. I was so excited. I I started walking around the desk. In the end, I walked around the block. He's giving me everything I need for life, everything I need for life, and for godliness, everything. In the same passage, it says, By the very great and precious promises, we escape the corruption that's in the world. We don't have to sink down. We escape the corruption by the promises and we can become partakers of the divine nature. It's all in 2 Peter 1. It's like, hey, you don't have to sink. You can walk on water. You can live the divine life. Everything we need for life, even in the storms. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We can win the battle. But let's just, before we finish, let's focus in on Simon Peter himself. So often he's the kind of spokesman. You know, you see the 12, but often Simon Peter, sort of the focus comes on him. And it's interesting. He's in the boat. He's in the storm. He's heard this, don't be scared, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Now, that's interesting. He's learned a few things by now, Simon Peter. He's learned this. If he tells me he can do it, I can do it. He's learned that. Even, even, even the feeding. He says, Jesus, they say, Lord, we've, there's got thousands of people. We've got no food. Jesus says, you feed them. Huh? No, you feed them. And he takes the loaves, blesses, breaks, gives them to Peter. You feed them. You imagine Simon Peter coming, like, mm, bit for you, bit for you. Hey, what's happening? What, what is happening? What is happening in my hands? Well, I'm, I'm being drawn into his world. I, I'm doing what he did. He did it, I'm doing it. I'm becoming a partaker of the divine life. I'm, I'm stepping into the kingdom of God. When he says it, I can do it. Peter's learned that. Beloved, that's a, that's the nature of the kingdom of God. What he says we can do. It's like water into wine. We're out of, we're out of wine. Fill the water pots. Oh, why would you do that? Pour it out. Why would you? Pour it out. And they do it. Wow. When you do what he says, beloved, when you do what he says, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Hallelujah. So Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk to Jesus. He begins to walk to him. He walks just, to, he's just at hand. He's walked all the way out to where Jesus is. So he walks and then suddenly he sees the wind and the waves and suddenly it says he begins to sink. Help, Lord! And immediately Jesus grabs him. Hallelujah. See, we may be faithless. He abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. He immediately grabs him. And he says to Simon Peter, well, Peter, I'm really proud of you. You, None of the others tried it. They're still on the boat. You tried it. Well done. And then he says to him, of course, it is hard. You You don't know where to put your foot down, do you? It's quite difficult. No, he doesn't say any of those things. He says none of those things. He says this. Why did you doubt, you little faith? Wow. Jesus having a grumpy day. It just tells him off. You think, man, that's a bit strong, isn't it? I didn't walk out here to you. I didn't get out of the boat. Why did you doubt, you little faith? See why Jesus, Jesus getting grumpy? Now Jesus was never grumpy. He was always pure, innocent, light, truth. So what he's saying, beloved, is the truth. He's saying the truth. It's like he's saying to me, you could have done it. Now that is, (laughs) if you think of a coach and a football team and confidence and so on, he's, he's saying, I could do it. I could have done it. See, that's what Jesus is saying to Simon Peter. You could have done it. Why did you doubt? You could have done it. And that's what God would say to us, beloved. You could have done it. You could have done it. You could have kept believing. And it says, why did you doubt? And the Greek word is distazo, which is a word that has a sense of two in it. It's like, why did you look this way and that way? Why did you look in two directions at once? See, why didn't you just keep looking in my face? If you kept looking in my face, you wouldn't have sunk. Isn't that true? Just keep looking at Jesus. If you'd kept focusing on the great I am, this tender one who says it's me, why did you get your eyes off me? This morning, dear friends, we've been singing it out. And God, God wants to encourage you to, once afresh, let him, let him get his hand in your hand. So he immediately saves him. Why? Well, it's his responsibility. He said, come. When we slip, Jesus says, oh, you're a failure. Walk away. No, he's, he's training him. He's with him. He's for him. Now, come on, Peter. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. It's interesting, it says about Simon Peter, when he was later in prison, they killed James, and they're going to kill Peter the next day. That's what it says, they're going to kill Peter the next day. And Peter is in prison, and the church gathers to pray, and an angel comes and wakes him up. That's wonderful. I think if I was Simon Peter, I'd be walking up and down the cell. They're going to kill me tomorrow, they're going to kill me tomorrow. Wake up, Peter. Wake up. He's learned something he's learned he's somehow at peace he's learned no, no no my hands my life's in the hands of God. He said when you are old people will take you. God's told me what's going to happen I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. God God is raising a believing community that's why he's giving himself to these twelve. See, Abraham believed God. These Old Testament characters, they believed God. That was their characteristic. They believed God. And now unbelief had crept right into the nation. They didn't believe God anymore. Now God's going to bring forth a new believing community wrapped up in Christ. And beloved, we live in a world that is being so shaken. There are such storms out there, politically in our own nation, horrific stories you think what's going to be on the news tomorrow our our world's been so shaken up and god is looking for us in the midst of it all to be a believing community to be a believing community we had the privilege this last week i wasn't i keep coming to my mind so i will share it as i'm speaking here my wife's a brilliant driver she knocked someone's mirror off the other day last week she bashed his mirror. And she stopped and went back. I'm sorry. He said, wow, that's my mirror. This is my, what was it? A Mercedes. Mercedes, man. And, and he said, she, Wendy said, it was a tiny crack, tiny crack. She, he said, no, no, no. That's my mirror. And through it, there's my, uh, my indicator is in the mirror. And you smashed it. So she said, well, here's my name, here's my address, and so on. And they spoke on the phone. He said, I'll come round. I'll get it priced. So the dear man came round. Uh, three days ago came to our home and uh, so actually by then Wendy's been friendly with him on the phone he said you're a nice lady and so on anyway he got it, he got it done he got the bill, brought the bill um, it was a bit nasty bill but there you go, it was a bill and uh, he came in and, and the man, he said I'm half Muslim half Christian my mother's German my, my, my father's somewhere from the Middle East and, and he's walking in and we, we chat and I give him the check, the cash. And uh, he says, uh, and Wendy says, you're, you're kind of limping quite a bit. And he said, yeah, I got a lot of pain. She said, Terry, I'll pray for you. I said, okay, I'll pray for you. <laughs> and I, I wouldn't have done it, I don't think. So I thank God for my wife's courage. We'll pray for you. So we prayed for him. He, his leg was like two inches shorter. One leg was shorter than the other, remarkably. Prayed for him. His short leg grew immediately. He stood up and said, wow. He started kissing us. I like, he kissed me and he kissed me. He's embracing us, embracing us, embracing us. And we, we gave him Lex's book. We prayed with him about Jesus. Jesus did that. Jesus did it. But love it. If God says we can do it, we can do it. Jesus says, do it. Take, we go out into a world. He said, oh, I've had difficulties at home. My marriage is in real problems. He's in storms. We're all in storms. World's in storms. The world's waiting for people who've got contact with one who's faithful. One who's faithful. He's strong. He stands by us. And he's wanting to, he's wanting to polish your arrow, beloved. You say, why is this happening to me? He wants to renew you in his love. He wants to establish and encourage you. He wants to renew that for you this morning want to encourage you in a moment when we pray let's pray over you the bible says pray for one another sometimes you just need someone to pray with you someone to just bring their faith alongside yours lift you out from the pressure you've been in sometimes it's like a cloud i can't find my own way through it that's what one another rings about in the bible let's stand with one another let's believe with one another amen let's just stand to pray So we're praying, maybe, maybe you've been in a storm. You haven't seen, you think, I can't, I can't see my way out of this. I don't know why it's happening to me. And I don't know if God even knows about it. Or if he's, I don't know if he's even interested. Well, this morning, I'm just amazed that those who led us in worship chose a song, I, I could hardly believe the lines. I believe believe God is on your case. He's after you. He wants you. He wants to renew you in his love. In a moment, I just want to invite you to come and be prayed over. Let's be refreshed and renewed. Let's walk out from this place different to how we walked in. Father, we just come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you. We don't just have to listen to a man's words. We can really meet with you. We thank you our religion isn't just listening to a speaker, but meeting with the true God. We thank you walk into our little boat. You change our life. You can make the storm finish in a moment. You want us to trust you. And Father, I just pray, come and meet with us. Come and meet with us. Come and restore our confidence in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. If you felt God spoken to you this morning, just felt in your heart, just feel feel God was speaking to me. If you feel that, don't lose the moment. Why don't you just slip forward even now before we start singing. Just come out of your row. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Let's just come and be prayed for. Be great if ministry team people could come as well. Let's just come and meet with Jesus. Let's come all around the room. Let's come and meet with Jesus, be renewed in his love. Don't hold back. Please come. If your ministry team or small group leaders or however the ministry team's are called here, let's come and pray together. Thank you.